0: Hey guys, Tucker here, co host of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Before we get into this week's show, I wanted to let you know that we're currently looking for more projects. So, for any of you guys that listen to the show that may be an agent or otherwise that have a property that you're looking to sell, we'd love to hear from you. Obviously, we're looking to purchase properties that are maybe not best suited for the retail market or maybe they need to be redeveloped. So, we do renovations and we do new construction so we could buy an existing home that maybe it smells like cigarette smoke, maybe it hasn't been updated in decades, maybe it's got some fun functional issues, problems like that. Or maybe it's just in an area that is best suited to take the house down, partition the lot, maybe build a couple new homes or just build one new home in its place and anything in between. So if you guys out there in Listenerland have anything that would be best suited selling to a development company like ours, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to our website, which is ttmdevelopmentcompany.com. And when you go there, there's a contact us tab. Click on that and you can send us a message and we'll get back to you shortly thereafter. We'd love to hear from any of you guys out there that have a property like this and hopefully All right, everybody out there listening, welcome back. This is episode 68 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast, and we're back this week with the best of masters. We've got my co-host here, Steve, and our master of masters, Joe. What's happening, guys?
1: Hi, fellas. Good to be back on. Welcome, Joe.
2: Thank you. We've got
1: a beautiful weekend coming up. Do you guys see we're going to have some
2: 100-degree weather? I love it. I'll never complain about heat in Oregon.
1: We might actually get a three-peat. We might actually string together like three nice days in a
2: row. Wouldn't that be something? I'd love you know, it. You can't you know be Portland summers, you know?
0: I'm going to make a prediction, though. There's going to be a news story about a run on Home Depot air conditioners that <laughs> hang out windows, right? Did you guys hear randomly?
1: I think I saw it on Facebook, but I've been hearing on it, about it on the news. They're having like 119 degrees down in Arizona. They're having like a heat wave down in the southwest. Can you Somebody imagine
0: 119 me, degrees? Yeah, it's crazy. Somebody told me they have to like not allow planes to take off And that. Is that just yes. a, uh, I heard that
1: too. Do you yeah. know what the physics yeah, behind
0: that is or what the deal is with that? Or they, I don't know. I
1: don't know. No, no, I'm sure there's a aeronautical law that has to do with lift and, and that, <laughs> that I don't know. <laughs> no. An aeronautical law that I is don't that know.
0: Technical but stuff. I,
1: Yes. I I love how people try to justify that it's a dry heat. Yeah. Well, my oven's dry too, but I don't want to jump in there either. So, yeah, <laughs> interesting. Cool. Well, let's get on to the masters, the best of masters. We've had some interesting topics over the last, you know, 30 plus days. Some of these are new ones to us. You know, every once in a while we kind of we kind of regurgitate a topic that's come up once or twice. In fact, I think our first one is going to be that, and it's not that we've not haven't talked about it, but you know sometimes things change in the market or they they change with regards to the question asked in particular. so this post was made on June nineteenth by Marla Noss. It says, "Am I dreaming, or are realtors sending more emails regarding their listings?" It drives me crazy filling up my inbox when I can look online if I'm interested and I'm am I missing something? So this is a topic we've had before. I mean, I, I understand why she's saying this. I mean, I'm I'm not oblivious to the fact that agents are getting myself included. And I would I would probably venture that I got probably as em- as many emails as anyone. I, I actually have. In addition to myself, I've got two full time executive assistants that man my inbox, and we've got a system down. It actually works pretty well. What we do is they're they're kind of the front line of my emails, and then they're they're basically flagging i moving to a folder is is more accurate the ones that I need to be privy to and so I mean, I think I'm pretty fortunate in this regards that i I have front layer of filtration. There are programs that do this for you. It's probably not as I think it's probably not quite as well as having it done manually by some people that you've trained, but they are automated. I know one of them, some another agent in my office uses or did use. I the last I heard from him, he liked it, was called Sane Mail. The automated program kind of gets an idea and a feeling for what you're looking at and then filters those into a certain inbox and then pushes out of your site. Still there, but you don't have to look at it. It's kind of prioritizing the ones it thinks you're going to want to see. And I I guess it did a pretty effective job of that. So I guess her point is valid, okay, that she's getting a lot. We get that. That may mean you need to do things to manage that. Now, the other question is, should agents automatically stop sending those out? Do they never work? I disagree with that. I disagree with that. Does everyone work? No, I disagree with that either. But but uh, you know, I think we've said in the past the determination of success in this regards is not, you know, does every one agent that I send this to read it and need it and bring me a buyer? No. I mean, marketing in general is not based on a 100% return rate of return is success and anything less than that is failure personally, I use a a program called mondo Flyer. I think they do a great job of facilitating this for us. They take everything off our plate they have an opt out button if agents don't want them they can opt out and I don't have to worry about sending it to agents that don't want it so there's there's one key and I think that's an important component to this. I think agents should be respectful and try to have an opt out button and look if somebody doesn't have an opt out button, you can always reply and say unsubscribe or remove me and it should in theory work the same way if they're a you know if they're a courteous agent they have some kind of email list and they can pull you out of it and they should and if they don't that's a different conversation but i do think from my experience on the mondo flyers you know we see about a 10% open rate that's the the great thing about mondo flyers is we automate it through our system our marketing platform that the marketing team does it on our behalf and they give you analytics on the back end that tells you how many agents looked at it. You can actually see the email addresses of the agent that looked at, looked at it, which is kind of cool. But we see about a 10% open rate. So if you send it to the nearest 4,000 agents, usually about 400 or so, give or take, open it. Does every time we do that result in a successful endeavor? No, but I get replies sometimes. Hey, can you tell me about the, which school this is in? or You know, something requests about specifics in regards to the property the other thing a lot of times it's really it's really great if it's a coming soon if you just got photos back you're going live on friday you send this out thursday it can kind of create an early buzz for the property before it hits the mls so to her point it hasn't if it hasn't hit the mls then i think agents are more appreciative of it in this day and age i mean here's a question i would flip back on on some of these agents who who hate this stuff what's the difference between this and the old school brokers open, I mean you know, in the old days, you take a house live and and, and i don't, I shouldn't say the old days I mean they're still done, and, and I, I think they serve a purpose and they're, and I think the greatest purpose, in my opinion is the the socialization of them and just getting to know other agents and and that component. But from my vantage point, this just is much more efficient. Hey, I'm taking this live tomorrow. 4000 agents who are close to this. Here's some photos. Here's a virtual tour. Here's a brief description. It's coming to you from me. If you have questions, you can reply. If you have a buyer that's interested, you can forward it. Mondo Flyers create an unbranded version that can go out. And it's just really efficient. It sure is more efficient in my mind than me getting in my car and driving around to a few homes that may or may not work for my clients. And then once I get there, having to pick up the phone and call the client and try to describe it to them and say, hey, you got to get to this home. I mean, how much better for me to get a quick email, look at it and go, oh, this is coming on the market. I've got a client that is a match for that. Let me forward it to them. I do that. They go, yeah, this looks interesting. Let's schedule a showing for tomorrow. Does that happen every time? No. Again, I said it's not 100% rate of return of success, but there were posts in here that stated that there has been success. I mean, there there was one that says, I recently became irritated from so many emails until one came and I was able to show and write that day. I'd been looking and couldn't find anything and this agent's email prompted me to call my buyer before it really ha- even had any showings. So if one in, you know, five times or 10 times, it generates some type of success. I mean, out of all the, the thousands of agents you send it to and see where that's valuable, it does need to be... Police though it does need to be managed correctly. I mean, don't blast everybody with your coming soon listing on Thursday and then send it again on Tuesday and then again on the next Thursday and then again, you know, a week later. I mean, that's that's just redundant and and you're now you're now spamming people with useless information that they could have seen the first time if they had wanted to. So
0: those are a few thoughts I have on it. So Tucker, what do you think on this? So I think that. Your suggestion about the coming soon type email in a market environment like we're in right now is probably the best use of email marketing for a property. I think that's agreed, agreed the best use for it. And I think if an agent is not doing that, then they should be. Now, if they've got a stale listing that's been on the market for a long time and they drop the price by to stimulate some type of, you know, price change notification, emails and whatnot, then yeah, that's annoying. There's no question there. Or if it's just been sitting forever at the same price and it hasn't sold and they're blasting it out to try and stimulate some more eyeballs on something that's gone stale, that's annoying too. And you just kind of have to think in terms of good marketing as opposed to an annoyance, you know, but at the same time, remember agents pester the hell out of homeowners too, right? You mail them postcards, you do your drop buys, you do all these things. So it's like, you know, it's kind of touche, right? You get annoyed by another agent a little bit. You kind of need to grow a pair and, you know, get a little thicker skin, in my opinion. But I agree.
1: I absolutely agree. I mean, it's it's a little bit of a wine session here talking about, oh, my gosh, these emails. Oh, how dare you send me an email? Like like it's each one's 10 pounds of weight put
0: on your back or something. And right. I mean, building up on you. I get eight gazillion emails a day and you know what I do if I get one that I don't care for? I don't read it. (laughs) I just go on to the next, right? I mean, it's really not a huge imposition. And so I think that people need to kind of get that in perspective. And also just understand, I mean, your email inbox is, you know, got some good, it's got some bad, and it's got some ugly, and that's just the way it's gonna be indefinitely. So unless you've got somebody that's, you know, sifting and sorting them for you. It's just the way it is. I don't think you really need to get that bent out of shape about it. And honestly, I don't think I'd ever go to a forum and start whining about it. But that's just me. So.
1: Yeah, and there was a lot of people on both sides of this.
2: There I get, was,
1: I get the
0: annoyance side of it. I yeah,
1: do. I get the annoyance too. But I mean, the amount of time sh- you spend whining about it could be could be spent on just ignoring those emails <laughs> or going like this, delete and. And it's one of those things kind of like, you know, we have these conversations about Zillow and, you know, the genie's out of the bottle and good luck stuffing it back in. I don't, you know, I don't see whining about this suddenly having every agent go, yup, I'm never going to do another one. Thank you for mentioning that. I just, the technology is here. You're able to efficiently and relatively cheap send vital information because we are in the information transferring business. That's what marketing is. You're able to send vital information to numerous other agents and numerous with a big number relatively cheaply and quickly. Don't see that genie going back in the bottle and, and agents going, I'm never going to email again. So that's that's part of the reason why I think the complaining about it is a little bit silly. It's just not going to do anything. So moving on to the next topic. This one was posted on June 10th by Stephanie, I hope I say this correctly, Wyarda, And this was new for me too. I haven't really heard of this, but it is interesting. Here is a new one for me, she said. As listing agent, an agent has a buyer who wants to do a full inspection on the house before making an offer. Is this something new that I don't know about? Why would they want to do this? I have good interest in the home. We get we make an offer at any moment. that definitely changes that equation a little bit. Joe, what do you think? Have you encountered this before?
2: You know, I haven't. It's kind of a new thing for Portland, I think. In a market like ours, I don't know that this can necessarily work for us because obviously you don't want your buyers to be vested financially and time into a property that isn't locked up in their name. So- In other markets, I can understand before they make an offer, they want a better understanding of the condition of the home so they can make an offer more reflective to what they already know, and then they can backpedal from there. They may be afraid that if there's a multiple offer situation, they come in with the highest offer to get it, find out that the house has all kinds of complications and expensive repairs, and then... Trying to go that distance from what they had to come in to lock it up in their name, it's going to be so much more difficult to go to a price that's more reasonable given what was uncovered in the inspection. So I think where we are in our market right now, I'm not a fan of inspections before unless I can be absolutely sure that my buyers are secure, that they're not going to take a different offer in the interim. And the only way to protect that is plop down an earnest money. So I think you almost have to plop down the earnest money first and then go through the natural channels. If this is a property that's been on the market for four months and its sale failed three times and, you know, the listing agent never tells you, well, gee, we had an inspection and all three people backed out because there's all kinds of problems. They usually say, well, the buyer had a change of heart or their house fell through or they decided they got transferred, didn't qualify, no fault of the seller. It's never anything about the house.
0: So, Very true, Joe. Very true. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and you know, they purposely, you know, do the ostrich effect, stick your head in the sand, and if I don't have the report and I don't see it, then I have nothing to disclose, which is questionable in and of itself. But I think it in that scenario where time is on your side you can have an inspection and then make your offer reflective and submit your offer with the report. That makes sense. But our market right now is too fast and furious, so I wouldn't recommend it in 2017.
0: Steve, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I mean, you nailed it, Joe. I've got pretty much nothing better to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Because <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> that's what I do. No, you nailed it, Joe. I think, in theory, it's a better process to do it that way. I get it. I get it. You know, I mean, when you buy like a car, I could see somebody saying, hey, I'm taking this to a mechanic. If I like what I see, you know, we're going to talk price. So I get where in theory that is a better process. The problem in, in reality, when you get into the real world of real estate is the component of do you are you wasting your time and money in that process? So we've we've kind of taken it backwards and it is the way that I think makes the most sense definitely in our market for sure because you've said hey this house is in contract I now have the rights to buy it so now let's go spend some money on it and let's take some time and and energy and fully and thoroughly you know vet the property and its condition to determine the next round of negotiations with regards to the price or, you know, repairs, I could see a unique situation or two. And I don't know if this was it. She alluded to somewhere down below that there's turned out to be a reason for this. And he was a journeyman carpenter. So I could see a situation where somebody and it would always have to be a property in my mind, it would have to be a property where it had been on the market long enough that you weren't concerned that it was going to catch fire and get a bunch of other offers. Because I'd still tie it up before I did this. But if the buyer themselves was some type of qualified individual to do the inspection of some sort, and that's what they intended to do, then I could kind of say, see them going, "Hey, we really like this house. Do you mind if we?" look at a couple of things further, deeper. I'm not saying I and mean, don't get me wrong, guys, I'm not saying I would encourage this, but I could understand it better. Hey, I, I want to, you know, look at a couple of things. I want to get in the crawl space. I wanna, you know, I'm basically asking for permission to do a few invasive tests to validate that we want to make an offer. If that was the case, that makes a little bit more sense to me, but definitely not something common in our market throughout the thread I saw talk of it maybe being in other markets and it's interesting
0: I'll definitely keep my ears to the floor to see if we hear more about this how about you Tucker so I'm going to decipher a couple things for everybody number 1 is if your buyer is a "quote unquote journeyman carpenter and he wants to do this that's code for underemployed or unemployed <laughs> carpenter and also code for giant pain in the ass because yeah. you know they're a know-it-all that nobody wants to fully employ because they're a pain in the ass. So, you know, I would say this is probably a complete waste of everybody's time given the situation, the way it was framed. I think it's an odd deal. I know that they do it in other markets. To me, it's just a wagon before the horse, unless it's a very specific situation where you want to know what you're getting into, sort of like due diligence on a big development parcel that might have a lot of problems. And before you go into contract, you do a little due diligence on the parcel and whatnot. I had one that was in a Flood zone that I looked at, and it had other challenges and entry exit challenges and all kinds of things and instead of tying it up, I just kind of did a little due diligence and decided not to do the deal, you know, just based on what I found out, so I get it there's a few things you could check out just to not waste everybody's time, but I think in this situation, based on the information that we have, this is a complete waste of everybody's time, so I wouldn't even have done it so but that's my yeah
1: tip. yeah, and it, I mean it sounded like she had other offers coming in, so yeah, it just poor communication at the very least is what was going on there. So, Hey, let's move on to the next topic. Joe, you posted this one. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. As usual, you are spot on with your intuitiveness as to what's going on in the market and things to discuss. You lobbed this one out yourself. Why don't you introduce it, Joe? It's the one about listing out of area properties. Do you have it there in front of you?
2: I do. I do. And it says, for those of you who list property that is quote, out-of-area, end quote, which I'll define as a town that has its own MLS system, for example, the Oregon coast. How important is it to join that MLS to market the property? And I was posting this a little bit for myself. I mean, I always psychoanalyze everything I do. You know, when you sell real estate as long as I have, people hire me to write legally binding real estate contracts, right? So they hire me for my brain not to turn keys. And you can always find a boots-on-the-ground person to do that for you, but they want to make sure they're well protected legally. However, there's a couple strange areas, like RMLS has really long arms. It, it goes up to Mount Hood. It goes into Washington. However, if you look at Salem, Salem has the Willamette Valley MLS, and that's a different animal. And if you're at the Oregon coast, they have many different MLSs, and I, and I belong to one of them, but not the seaside one, but more Pacific City, Tillamook, Lincoln County. And so my question was more of, if I took on a listing that I'm completely capable of doing, do I need to join that MLS? And It was kind of overwhelming all the responses that Mm -hmm. just because your real estate license licenses you in the state of Oregon doesn't mean you should. So I chose to co-list something in Seaside, and that way I have boots on the ground there. It's kind of a win-win for everybody. All of my leads goes to that listing agent. They're there to check on it. They're there to show it if someone inquires. Everybody makes a little money. The seller gets two for the price of one. So
1: what are you paying them, Joe? 25, 35, something like that? Or is, no, is it 50-50? I
2: just cut it in half.
1: You did. Okay. Interesting. Yep. And it was
2: your lead, right? Yeah, they're longtime clients of mine and they're finally selling a vacation house. And I just more so than anything else wanted them to be well taken care of. And I would have loved to have handled it, but because Clatsup County has their own MLS. And, you know, people don't like brokers listing stuff in their backyard. You know, you get a phone call that your sign has been kicked over and the key is mistakenly somehow disappeared from the lockbox. And you sort of get blackballed a little bit. And I think there was enough of uh, disparity between what I could do with MLS and what Clatsop mm-hmm. County can do that I decided to to co-list. now. There's a different scenario if I'm doing something in Cottage Grove or Roseburg or Eugene and it's a buyer and they want to buy a place. I think that's different because I'll go and look at the property myself and I'll write it up and I can find a reputable inspector. I could find reputable people. However, the listing and marketing of it is a different animal. So I chose that route to co-list.
1: I'm sorry, just on, so I'm, I'm following you, Joe. You're saying you wouldn't do this with a buyer, but you only would do it with a seller. Is that what I heard you say? All the way around.
2: I would co-list for a listing where they have an, their own MLS and there's strange little rules and regulations they have locally. I wouldn't yeah. necessarily do it with the buyer. If, it, if a buyer was getting into something that was you know, out of my field or just too foreign to me, You know, we wanna conduct real estate within the realm of what you know. You get in trouble is when you're doing something, you know, you take a residential broker who's been doing it for a year, and all of a sudden he has the opportunity to list a commercial property or industrial. You know, that's just a problem waiting to happen. But I've been around, I've seen everything. And so what I need to determine is each individual situation is different. Mm-hmm. I have listed stuff out of the area, worked out just great. And I've sold buyers vacation homes and you name it, Black Butte, Sun River, and it's all good. But you really have to analyze what's going on. And I'll tell you what, if I was a broker in Seaside, I would belong to the Clatsop MLS. I would also belong to RMLS. And anytime I have a buyer, I would check both systems because what's in one may not be in the other. So that's what I would do personally.
1: Would you work with a buyer? I'm trying to understand that. Would you have worked with a buyer on the beach or in Eugene? Yeah. You would? How would you have facilitated showings?
2: Well, I would I would do it.
1: So buyer calls you up at four o'clock and goes, hey, this place out in Cottage Grove, which I'm, I'm assuming that's a two and a half hour drive. Can you meet me there tonight? And then you go there and open it up. And how would you open it up? And then if it didn't work, you drive home and then do it again next night?
2: Well, no, it's more of this isn't someone like, hey, we want to buy a place at the coast in the next 18 months. And our price range is between two hundred and three fifty. And, you know, it's usually we found the place. We love it. We want to buy it. And can you take a look at it and write an offer? And then I will. But if it's just a plain old buyer and, you know, gotcha, they're not motivated. That's a different story. Yeah,
1: sure. No, no. I mean, I'm tracking you now. Okay. Yeah. So if it just a jam falls in your lap of, hey, we were at the beach, we went to an open house, we found this, we want to write an offer. Yeah, you would write that up. Okay. I'm following you now. So Joe, absolutely. First of all, the fundamental question that you asked was how important is it to join the MLS to market the property? Okay. I'm going to actually say that a different way. How important is it to be in the local MLS to market the property? It's ridiculously important. You absolutely have to do it. I think you are doing a tremendous disservice. And you did this, Joe. You you found a local person who had that MLS. I think you are doing a tremendous disservice to a seller. If you sign up on the dotted line and shake their hand and say, I am going to market you in the best possible manner I can, and then you knowingly do not put them in the MLS that every agent within a stone's throw of that house that is working with buyers in that area is in. You have to get into the local MLS. I see this, I see this quite a bit within our company. I hear it. Usually it's newer agents that make this mistake. You know what messes people up, Joe? Do you know how RMLS shows all these areas? I think that trips up people like RMLS, if you go in there, it has Salem, it has Bend, it has the beach. Now, when you go do a a search for homes in it, there's like, you know, 3% of the actual homes that are in those markets on for sale are in RMLS. And those 3% are typically, and hopefully they're in the other MLS, you know, in Salem, that's WVMLS and in central Oregon, I think it's C, I think it's central Oregon MLS, but I, I'm, I'm forgetting now. And then the ones on the beach. So somebody hopefully has put it in the local MLS, and then they also simultaneously put it in our MLS for whatever reason. Maybe they are here, maybe they they are there, but they have access to it, and they're like, hey, the more MLS is the better, which isn't a terrible strategy. But I think it messes people up. So newer agents oftentimes, they'll be like, oh, my, my cousin or my, my buddy wants to sell their beach house. Let me do a quick search. Oh, yeah, the beach is in here. I can list in the beach. Well, yeah, you're putting in an RMLS for the beach, but no one at the beach is using that MLS. No agents are. So you will get it onto. and actually, this was part of the comment. Somebody made a comment about whether that makes it on the Zillow or not, and I'm not sure the answer there because I think – if you don't even get it on the Zillow, then you're you're even that much worse off. But even if you get it on the Zillow, if you're not in the local MLS, no local agent has any instructions or any idea how to show the property. And beyond that, they don't even have lockbox. You don't have a lockbox. So are you simply putting it in armless? It just, you can't do it, people. It's not it's not something that can be done. What Joe did here with his is absolutely the way to go. I too Joe have listed some out of area properties. I actually work with a builder in Salem. Now, when I first started doing some Salem business, and by the way, Salem's not that far. If you hop on a, in a car from Lake Oswego, you can be in Salem about as fast as you can get to Vancouver with, you know, normal traffic. So, it's a little bit closer market. It's kind of crazy that it is a different MLS and I wish it wasn't because I think somebody even made a comment here on this thread that as Portland grows and gets bigger and more expensive, a lot of buyers are probably going to especially out of area buyers who are maybe th- thinking, "Hey, let's move to Oregon, but oh my gosh, Portland's average pr- home price is north of 400,000 whereas Salem's is 250 just under 300,000." You're going to see more people jumping to that market, but as I was saying, I done business to there. I worked with sellers. I have a builder down there. When I first started that, I teamed up with an agent down there who was my boots on the ground. Love that expression because I, I agree with it. It's it's powerful to have somebody who is right there. That when a lead comes in, that says, "Hey, I want to see this," you know, in two hours, you can pick up the phone and call them. They're incentivized. They're going to get a percentage of the the commission when it closes well and they're also there they can they can try to represent the buy side and and work that angle too if they want on a lead that comes directly to you they also can be available if you need to ship flyers to somebody if you need if the seller had has a need that somebody needs to go address within a short window like you said joe it's you know our clients come to us for our expertise possibly even on our marketing Because you can facilitate in some of these markets, even the beach, you can send a great marketing crew from Portland there. And, you know, in a day, hour and a half each way and, and, you know, a few hours in between, they can roll out a marketing presentation very similar to what you're doing here that nobody on the beach is doing, by the way. I mean, most of the agents on the beach and in some of these outlying areas, you know, most of them aren't using drones, they're not using video, they're not using possibly 3D technology. So you can really do a great job for your sellers. You can get the marketing there. You can be the expert that is helping negotiate and guide them through. But having somebody there on the ground that is close by and has the MLS, and when you do that, like Joe said, obviously you put them on a a portion of the commission. I would probably even put out there, guys, that it doesn't have to be 50%. I think, I mean, I think that was generous of you, Joe, but I've done it in the past where it was like 35 or maybe 40% that you pay to them. The idea being, hey, I'm doing the marketing, I'm the, the primary list, you're the co-list, and it was my lead, Assu- you know, typically it's gonna be your lead that you've found, so there's a little bit more value in that for the two parties and the equitability of it. I think that's a great way to do things. You know, when I have listings like that, it usually isn't, I'm not marketing for them. And if I get a listing like that, I'm not trying to get all the neighbors. This is more of a situation where it's a one-off where a client here has a second home or, you know, a friend or personal, somebody personally that reached out to you and said, Hey, I want your help here. And you're able
0: to facilitate it. But hey, you Steve, did that the
1: right way, Joe. I think a lot of people don't do it that way. They just try to do it all
0: themselves and they, they cause a lot of problems. I think you made some good points, but I think that we're going to wrap up your 10-minute guitar solo. And I think we can move <laughs> on to our more <laughs> spicy questions here that were put on here. All were good points. Uh, all in good fun, obviously. <laughs> good but <laughs> let's, let's move on to the one about the the title company, because I think that that and the next one have some teeth that I think people really need to hear about. And I'm interested in what you guys have to say. I'm winded. Go for it. You guys do it. I'm done talking. Go ahead, Tuck. All right. I'll give a quick rundown here. All right. So the th- the next topic is by Caitlin Rue wright Hopefully I said that right. Caitlin Rue wright Say that five times fast. <laughs> and her post, it was on June 1st. Heads up, Masters. I just had a meeting with some FSBO sellers on behalf of my buyer clients. So I guess... Fizbo sellers, buyer clients. The buyers were looking to buy the FISBO that the seller was listing. That's what I'm taking from this, unless you guys have anything different. Lovely people, however, they decided to divulge the reason why they went FISBO. It turns out that they were urged by one of Portland's most prominent title companies to go this route. I'm not sure what title company that might be. And they had even gone as far as to offer to provide the paperwork for them to do so. Deplorable ethics aside, what benefit would doing this provide the title company, basically, besides alienating brokers? Obviously, she was being a little facetious there. But what what do you think, Joe? What do you think of this post? Do you think it's an overreaction? Do you think that maybe the people just asked for some paperwork? What do you think is going on here?
2: Well, OK, so we're, we're talking about a topic on sort of hearsay at best. People list FISBO or Sell by owner for a couple reasons. One is they had a bad experience with a broker before. That's a very low percentage, say 10%. 90% is to save money. They don't respect what they do. We do. They think they can do it better and save money. The fact that these for sale by owners told this selling agent that a title company told them, you should do it this way, save money, and we'll do all the paperwork. I mean, I don't know if that's exactly true. I've discovered many half-truths when talking to for sale by owners in the past, and I think this could be some of it. So before we try and call out a title company and have guns blazing, you really got to think about if someone asks you your opinion, I mean, there's different reasons for giving a non-genuine answer, you know? hey, do you think my baby is pretty? You know, you might not say, no, that's the ugliest baby I've ever seen in my life. You might say, hey, you know what? Your baby looks healthy, and I'm glad you love your baby. And you could say anything, but your baby is ugly. And I don't know that this for sale by owner really meant that, that he said, hey, a title company will totally take care of us. They offered to do the paperwork and whatnot you know, we have neutral third parties, they're regulated, there's things they can and can't say, I don't know they would offer that. I'm sure there's title company people lobbying for business, but I don't know that they would overstep their bounds so much. Or maybe they said, hey, you know, if you bring a buyer, we can close it for you. And this guy sort of elaborated on it. So before we get out the gasoline and the torches and stuff, I don't know that this is completely what the for sale by owner really meant or what really happened.
0: Good analogy or good synopsis, we'll say.
2: I'm with you, Joe.
1: I'm with you. Something didn't feel right about this. And it was actually mentioned in one of these comments. I mean, why would a person call a title company for advice? I mean, that's not that's not a normal conversation. So my guess is They called a title company and said, hey, I'm getting ready to for sale by owner my house. Or, hey, I might for sale by by owner my house, whatever the case. And can you guys work with me? And a title company is in the business of closing deals. Now, most of their deals do come from realtors. And I have to think most are going to hold that relationship sacred and not do anything that would jeopardize it. But at the end of the day, they get paid for closing escrows and for facilitating the title process there. And so if somebody comes to them directly with that in mind, they're going to say, yes, I can do that. As far as paperwork they provide, I don't think they provide contracts anymore. That was mentioned in this comment. It's hard to know what that paperwork entailed. It could have been like, hey, here's you know, here's our closing costs or our fees or whatever. Tucker and I are former lenders. We used to deal with this. Remember, Tucker, you ever oh, yeah. have a client that started with a realtor and then all of a sudden the client said, hey, I was in an open house. I found an I found a house. I want to buy it. I mean, we're not going to say, hey, go away. Screw you. I work with that realtor. It stinks. You hate it. You're upset. You know, you, you might ask, you know, are, are you sure you don't want so-and-so to re- represent you? This is what they do. But if they're adamant, then you go, OK, I can facilitate it. And you pick up the phone and you call the realtor and you go, hey, I'm so sorry. This is what's going on. I wanted you to be aware. They're asking me if I can still work with them. And, uh, you know, I'm assuming that isn't an issue. And, and. Most agents are going to go, yeah, no, go for it. I get it. It stinks. But it's not foreign to us, the idea that not all business, when we were lenders, came from realtors, and if we were willing and able to work directly with the public, and title companies can and and should as well, I don't know that this went down
0: exactly like it was mentioned here. Tucker? I mean, there's always going to be Fizbo's in the world, right? So again, I don't think it's really worth anybody's time to get too upset about it. Plus they obviously had a courtesy to broker, right? So they're paying her. So she should be happy about that. They could have said, oh, we're not paying, you know, buyer's agents either. And then in that case, then I would have something to rant about because they're trying to do a FISBO, not pay a listing commission. And then they're not doing, you know, courtesy to broker either, which doesn't really give any brokers any incentive to bring any buyers to their house. But that would be something that where you're like, what are these people thinking, right? But, you know, you're going to have FISBOs in the world you're going to have people that list with realtors in the world. It's just the way that it is. Hell, who knows? Maybe the people that own that house, maybe they're best friends with the title company gal. And they said, hey, we're just going to list it ourselves because everything's selling so easy. You know, Could you handle the transaction for us? Sure, no problem, right? Well, what do you use if we don't use a realtor for a form? Well, you can use a Stevens Nest number 18 form. It's a standard one-page purchase and sale agreement eight million attorneys have, you know, gone over it a gazillion times and it's a form that's good in Oregon. We use it all the time when we buy directly from homeowners. So they could have handed them something as simple as that, but then saying obviously that, you know, they're not giving advice or anything like that on how you should handle it. But it's very possible people can sell houses without realtors. They shouldn't always do it, but it's going to happen regardless. So it just is what it is.
1: Yeah. And it should also be quick to be said that, you know, even if there was somebody at a company that did cross the line and did say, hey, you could use a realtor, but you shouldn't do it yourself. That doesn't mean he's speaking for the entire company and that they should all be lumped together any more so than if one of my agents or Joe's agents or any any agent with any company, you know, does something, you know, off the grid and, and crosses a line and, and misspeaks that it should be. Assume that everybody within that organization thinks and feels that way. So, I'm glad it wasn't mentioned. I, don't, I guess I I looked through and I didn't see the the title company named. And there was a lot of people calling for blood. <laughs> there often is, isn't that true, Joe? Yeah, it's like a reoccurring theme these days. Mm-hmm. This is like the the olden days. Like off with their head, off with their head. Yeah, give us, give us the name, give us the name. They're just like to the frosting at the mouth trying to get it, but they, they didn't give it, thankfully, and nor should they have. This, There's a few reasons why that, that is applicable.
0: Cool. So why don't we move on to the last topic here, Steve? Why don't you kick us off on that? This one I'm pretty interested in. It sounds like something that maybe you guys have probably both ran into over the course of your tenure in real estate as well, or I'm sure you probably have to some extent, but maybe kick it off here, Steve. And uh, yeah. yeah.
1: So this was by Aaron Warren, May 30th. Hey masters, I need some advice. Your comments are appreciated. I have a buyer who wants to make an offer on a property. That said, it's not contingent on their home selling and sent me approval noting their down payment of a significant amount. I called while writing the offer to be specific with where the money was from. You know the drill, from savings, stock, gifts, wherever is it coming and that it's not a contingent source of funds. They said no, that they knew their home would sell quickly and close before the noted 60 days on the offer to purchase. I clearly explained that the offer was specific in provisions that to not be truthful could cost them the possible loss of their earnest money and possibly more liability if the question were not accurate. I did say I would write what they wanted, but I must would need them to sign a document from my office noting I'd encourage them to be accurate with their information, but the liability would be theirs. Once I said that, they decided not to disclose their offer subject clo- to the close of their principal residence. Now they hate him, basically. I'm going to kind of clean a little bit of this up. I did say I had no doubt the listing agent would contact the lender to confirm the ability for them to purchase as well. And I did think the lender would not be able to mislead the agent. So where did I go wrong? I've counseled the buyer differently. Their anger towards me is real. So he's basically saying, guys, that they want him to write an offer that's not contingent. They do have to sell their house to buy. He kind of advised him that he shouldn't do that. He didn't quite walk away from it and say, I won't do that. He said, if I do that, you're going to sign something saying I told you not to do it, which is a whole conversation there. But now they hate him. So, I, And I'm assuming by hate, they they left him. They're not working with him. It's interesting. It's an interesting conversation. We've n- never had it here. Ironically, it's something similar kind of came across my desk around the time this was posted, believe it or not. In fact, one of my team members pointed this out to me and said, hey, that's kind of like what we have going on. Joe, what do you think?
2: Well... I don't know what these buyers are thinking trying to make their offer seem stronger than it really is. And it's two things, why they would potentially do this and why they would think that their very own broker wouldn't ferret it out to find out the root of it. And if that person didn't, why the listing agent wouldn't call and talk to the lender and find out everything. I mean, you have to disclose in your offer if you're getting gift funds it's contingent on a house recording, selling stock, borrowing against a 401k. You have to say all this stuff. If you make an offer subject to the successful recording on your house, if your transaction explodes, you are obligated to tell the people that you have an offer on their house that your transaction failed and you need to renegotiate. You can't just, oh, our buyers walked. Let's get a new one real quick that's relevant stuff. And I mean, there's ramifications to that. I don't know, you know, I'm not an attorney, but I imagine you can get sued for tying up someone's house and the opportunity lost of other buyers and, you know, non-disclosure. I'm, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of fire and rain that could come down on you for, for not doing it right. Something I don't agree with here is if your buyer is doing something shady, you're like okay i'm going to do it but i have indemnity but let's do this shady offer but if shit hits the fan i'm out of it i mean i don't think you're you're wrapped in bubble wrap even if you have that <laughs> signed in the on the dotted line
0: doesn't that make so, you an accomplice at that point cuz you're a, yeah. aware of your
2: wrong doing. <laughs> yeah basically so you know, but at least if you didn't teacher. have
1: that, you'd like be able to go, Oh, you, I didn't know you had to sell a house when you, we wrote that offer, but yeah, yeah. you definitely put it out there. Good point, Tucker. Go ahead. So, Jill.
2: You know, I just, I had an offer on something the other day and I called the broker and had a conversation and I asked difficult questions. When did you first talk to this person? And then how long was your conversation? And did you, you know, do your VOE, verification of employment, did you check bank statements, and and did you get pay stubs? And I mean, how much did you dig into it? When you get a pre-approval letter, one is everything's been verified, checked, approved, submitted, loan app, and it's been sitting on ice for three months while they're waiting to get a house. The other one was a five-minute conversation, and the guy shot over a letter. It's our job as a listing agent to find out all of that stuff. And if this listing agent was worth their salt, they would do that independent of what the buyer wanted to do and the selling agent. It's the listing agent's responsibility to make sure that that that's legit. And I mean, that's why if it's cash, you ask for proof of funds. And if it's not cash, you know, there's that line in the earnest money that says additional cash is coming from X. And if it's blank, that says you don't need additional cash from anything you can buy it just just as is where it is, And so at that point, I probably would have had a strong conversation to say, you do it right or I'm not your person.
1: Yeah, no, you're spot on. In this case, clearly, there is just tremendous risk. Yeah, you're risking the earnest money. And he, he said that. But it's beyond that. I mean, you're risking your reputation as an agent. You're risking ethics, you're risking, you know, I mean, and the client is risking. I'm with you, Joe. I don't know exactly if the, how that comes back on them as a lawsuit, but definitely as the agent, you've got things to be aware of. I mean, if I get where if the stars line up, this could have gone great, but the stars don't always line up. And with 60 day window, if your first deal falls apart, you know, heaven forbid, three weeks in, you're not going to get that closed on time. And what the heck are you going to say to the, to the other side? And you're going to have to come clean. And sometimes where these things go, when that happens is they kind of spiral into more deceit and more lies, which is just a bad place to be. You know, then they're suddenly like, well, I can't tell them that we are trying to sell a house. So I'll call the lender I'll tell him to call and say that he's running late on the loan and maybe that'll buy us time. And and then you're trying to rope in other people and the whole thing just spirals into a ugly,
0: ugly mess. It's just, it's not a great situation. I will say this doing this is exactly why people hate realtors because you're, you're not a professional. You're just an accomplice idiot really because it's, Your job is to drive the train. Right. And so the one thing that really drives people crazy about realtors sometimes is that they're yes, men and yes, women. You're driving the train, not the client. Right. You're supposed to be the professional. You're supposed to tell them how it works. When somebody says, I want to make an offer, and I don't want to say it's contingent, but it's contingent. You say, well, guess what? That's not really how the game's played. Right. So I really hate it when I hear people say they're mad at me. And it's like, well, shit, they're doing it wrong. If they're going to be mad at you because you told them they're doing something wrong, it's like telling your kid that they're doing something wrong and they're mad at you because you told them that they can't do that. Right. Same thing. You know, they're relying on you to be the professional and tell them. So it's like, I don't know, sometimes you got to get some thick skin and understand what it is that your job really is. It's not just to, you know, shuffle paperwork and get a nice commission. It's to actually give good advice and, and guide people and tell them what they can and can't do throughout the process. So you know, in this case, and then on top of it, like I said, you're going to sign something that says that you're knowingly doing something you shouldn't do so that when you get caught for it, you can say that I'm not liable for it. Like, that's the stupidest thing I've heard in a long time. Like, seriously, I mean, come on. And this isn't a personal insult. It's just, that's just, I mean, think about it. I mean, what principal broker would sit down and be like, yeah, let's let's have them sign this thing that says we know what they're doing is wrong, but we're going to do it anyway. And if they get caught, we're not liable, right? Like if you saw a broker bring that to you, you'd be like, what are you doing? Right? Like not a good idea. Exactly. On top top of that, it's like none of this needs to happen, right? If the house is going to sell easy, they're going to price it right. And it's a good house. Tell the listing agent when you make the offer, we just accepted one last week that way, right? Here's the house. It looks good. We're going to price it here. It's a realistic price. If we don't get it, we'll drop it. You know, those are the steps you go through to get a, a listing agent to say, you know what? Your price of your offering is fair. The terms that you're giving us in terms of the contingency are fair. Yes, we'll do the offer, right? I mean, that's that's how you deal with it. That's how you do it. You don't need to, you know, get into a downward spiral of lies like you talked about, Steve. You just, you know, do your job right. And guess what? It'll probably work out right.
1: Yeah. He mentioned one thing that I thought was good. Agents, if you find yourself in a situation like this and, and, the, and the client is a spoiled brat, like candy or... Like a kid that you know wants their candy, a good way to get out of it without being as much the bad guy is pointing out how it's not going to work in a way that that kind of indemnifies you. And he did this with the, you know, say, you know, the listing agent is going to call the lender and they're going to ask where the the down payment is coming from, and the lender is going to have to to say. You know, little things like that, believe it or not, they can help you in these regards when the client
0: really, really is pushing something like this. Yeah, show them the path to success, right? Show yeah. them how it should be done and the path to success. And then also, if you do it this way, here's the path to failure, right? Yeah, that should be that should make their decision for them. Really. Yeah,
1: yeah. Rather than saying, hey, I'm not going to do it because, you know, and I'm not saying that you you don't state this is wrong to do, but also stating, the you know, the things that are going to happen or could happen that are going to thwart this and other parties is a good way to keep it just about from just being about you and your principles and your ethics which in this case clearly they don't have any so is going to you know at a cross paths with with anger but i want to mention one scenario that we had very similar it was around this time the difference with mine the client wanted us to write up something like this the difference was with mine was we were list we were making an offer on new construction and first edition 1.8 million dollar house that wasn't going to be done for like four or five months, and so the is client was asking what's that
0: is this recent
1: yeah yeah okay. it's right on Tryon Creek Park Elite Homes
0: yeah we looked at the property before they bought it I was surprised at the what they ended up putting on it, but it sounds like you've got the buyers. It's I've got the it's, buyer. Should, should yeah. Be a cool yeah. Out.
1: yeah. Yeah. So given that the new construction wasn't going to be done for five months, it was lobbed out there. Like, why do we need a contingency? We're selling a Westlake home that is going to, is a single level 700,000 beautiful lot. You know, we expect multiple offers and to be fair, we did get multiple offers. And even if there's a sale fail, The first go around, can't we just put it right back on and get another one and another one? I mean, in five months, aren't we guaranteed to be able to close the house? We talked about this internally and ultimately decided, you know, made the right decision, even though, yeah, we're probably guaranteed a path of success here. Let's not go down the icky road. Let's just be upfront and tell the listing agent, hey, here's why we don't think we're going to have a problem closing because we have five months to sell this property and here's where it is. And, and it worked out for us. It worked yeah. out great. And they said, Oh, we get it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it did not hurt us in any way. So just a a lesson learned there that, you know, doing it the right way is the best way. And even if it doesn't always work out rosily like that, it's still the right thing to do. It just, yeah. it keeps you out of icky. We don't like icky.
2: No, hey, no commission is worth breaching your ethics or even, even scraping the surface and you know there's there's bad people on both sides you know buyers in this case not disclosing fully there's sellers that you know don't disclose fully and if you're aware of it it's your obligation to say hey I know this to be different and it has to be this way if you want me involved if not you know good luck and I hope you have a good attorney
0: yeah and on that note <laughs> hey, I, th- I think we covered some good ground today you know what today is though before we wrap up guys it's the nba draft and i'm really hoping that when people hear this we have unloaded three terrible contracts and three less than stellar players in return for something better so well let's hope for that yes Do you have any do you have any specific players you're hoping we unload i hope that we can unload at least two of the three of myers crab and evan turner gotcha I don't totally dislike Crab, but I don't think Myers has a place in Portland moving forward, and I just don't think Evan Turner fits in our offense. But you know, I guess that's up for debate. But either way, we need to dump at least a couple of those contracts tonight. So hopefully, we can do that.
1: Yeah, yeah. cool. Well, we'll be watching and and rooting and hoping. I know you you're a little in the more in the know on that stuff, so I like to to see what you have to say, and I'll
0: I'll be following it closely. Yeah, Joe, cool. thanks for joining us for another episode, Mister Master you, of sorry.
2: Sorry for the technological troubles. I'll update all my stuff, and hopefully we won't have this again. Not a problem. Not a problem.
0: Just this once. So
2: maybe I have the ransom virus.
0: (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Hopefully not.
1: We might be back after July fourth, right? Would be, I guess.
0: Yeah, probably after the fourth. You guys will hear this in the rear view. So yeah, we'll be back after the fourth with another episode, which will be number sixty-nine. So we'll see you guys sometime after the fourth of July.
1: Well into summer. Have a good one, guys.
0: Thanks again for listening to our show and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.